My name is Aaron Stein, and I am the Chief Content Officer at War on the Rocks. You are listening to The Warcast, the members-only podcast for what you need to know now. Tensions have surged on the Korean Peninsula amidst a U.S. and South Korean set of military drills and reciprocal North Korean missile launches and repeated launching of aircraft up towards the South Korean border. Here to join us this afternoon is Jenny Town, a senior fellow at the Stimson Center and the director of Stimson's 38 North program. Jenny, it's good to have you on the show. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. Well, let's just start right at the beginning. For uh, our Warcast listeners, can you describe the reciprocal tit-for-tat um, escalation and tensions that have been going on between uh, North Korea and South Korea? So over the past few months, um, the U.S. and South Korea have been running uh, U.S. rock joint military exercises um, in a number of different forms. Um, And since then, the North Koreans have protested these exercises, which is normal. Um, They always protest U.S. rock joint military exercises. And usually there is at least like some kind of short range ballistic missile testing as part of that protest. Um, This year, what we've seen, though, is a whole new tact coming from the North Koreans and how they protest and how they express their frustration with U.S. rock joint military exercises. And certainly this is the first year since 2017, that the U.S. and South Korea have engaged in live fire exercises, large scale live fire, air, naval um, and and, you know, combined exercises. So um, at one point, uh, the North Koreans have the North Koreans had launched several missiles over the course of a couple of days. I think it was four missiles that they launched at one point, uh, short-range ballistic missiles. Um, they were not explaining what they were doing, and it was it seemed similar to what we saw earlier in the year as sort of these one-off missile tests. Um, but then they explained it afterwards as uh, saying that it wasn't, you know, development-oriented missile tests, but deployment-oriented drills. So, you know, we've really seen a a big difference of what's been going on in the last two months versus what happened earlier this year, is that now where the North Koreans are engaged in sort of the training exercises and the deployment exercises that also involve live fire. And we've seen them also shoot multiple rounds of artillery into the DMZ. Um, This is they are explaining it as being military exercises. And basically now we're in this drill for drill escalation. If the U.S. is going to do it, if the U.S. and South Korea are going to do it, North Korea is going to do it also. Um, and the most recent round, uh, just last, just this week, um, North Korea actually shot 23 missiles one morning um, and 100 rounds of artillery into the DMZ and then followed it up with a I think three more, four more missile tests that evening. Um, so, you know, this is a, a really tense situation and a really unstable situation, even though the countries aren't firing at each other. The tensions are high and the room for misperception, miscalculation are also very high, leading to a, a real uh, potential for kind of accidental conflict to break out. So I think one of the other aspects of this is that the North Koreans are also using their air force. Um, Correct me if I'm wrong, but this seems to be a new development. Can you talk a little bit about that and why they may potentially be doing this and the U.S. and uh, South Korean response? Yeah, so the North Koreans at one point did uh, do an air combat drill. I think they've done two of them now um, during U.S. rock uh, 
military exercises. So they've done air combat drills that come very close to the DMZ, but of course don't cross into the DMZ. Um, and it is the first time that we've seen the, the North Koreans use these kind of live bomber runs um, and the, the U.S. and ROC response to it has been, you know, a lot of harsh rhetoric, a lot of, you know, power projection um, and just sort of these reminders to the North Koreans. Well, if you attack, you know, we can totally destroy you. And of course, this kind of rhetoric doesn't play well in Pyongyang and really eggs them on as well to show that they're not going to be intimidated. And I think what we're what we see now is really this kind of you know, each, what we see is basically fire and fury happening again, but this time in actions instead of in actually using the words fire and fury. So if we could drill down a little bit, there's been continued speculation that the North Koreans may conduct a nuclear weapons test. Um, I think this has been going on for a couple of months now. Uh, Can you give us the latest, at least on what you think or the perceptions of of what's coming out of uh, Pyongyang and the, and the the potential for tests? And I'll have one more follow up after that. There has been, you know, intelligence leaks saying that North Korea had prepared a nuclear test, was ready to do the test. Um, I can tell you in the open source world, all we can say is that North Korea did reaccess one of the tunnels at Pungeri um, that does make it, does seem to be operable. Um, whether or not they've actually prepared a test, we can't tell. Uh, but if they did, they haven't conducted it yet. And the question is, is what would make them do it? Um, a lot of people like to tie this to external factors, like is it the midterm elections or is it, you know, a U.S. holiday or a South Korean holiday? Um, but, you know, the North Koreans don't do everything based on external factors. <laughs> a lot of this is really, you know, in the Eighth Party Congress last year, Kim Jong-un set a number of development goals for their WMD program. Um, it will include nuclear testing uh, in order to accomplish the goals that he put out. When they decide to do it is whenever they think it's technically feasible with probably some political consideration to it. Um, But it isn't something that they have such a distinct pattern that we can predict. You know, a lot of people are like, well, if they did an ICBM test one time, they did an ICBM test and it was followed by a nuclear test. Well, that's not a pattern that happened one time. Um, so they could do it at any time. They, they have the ability to do it. They have the facilities to do it. Um, when they des- decide to do it is really up to, you know, their technical considerations. And I think one of the statements that I believe it was Kim Jong-un put out, and I think it fits nicely with one of your first answers, which is that we've seen there was an ICBM test. It, it was lofted uh, recently, but we've seen mostly their, their their recent missile tests have been shorter range or intermediate range systems. And I think there's a hypothesis going around that they are actually testing or is that they are actually doing exercises rather than testing missiles and that the potential nuclear test would not be for a, a, a strategic uh, warhead, one for a long-range missile, but one for theater ballistic missile systems. Can you expand a little bit on your first answer, which is on Kim's statement that they aren't actually testing short-range missiles, but they're actually exercising with these missiles in the field and what that could potentially mean for bilateral relations with South Korea? Um, So the idea that they're now training and exercising operations in order for actual deployment um, is a natural progression 
versus the technical testing of the missiles themselves that that we normally see. I think there's been there's obviously been a lot of emphasis lately from the North Koreans, especially on the use of tactical nuclear weapons and the distinction between tactical versus strategic. But I think part of that is because in the past, North Korea didn't have a strategic capability. They only had a tactical capability. The program itself was really in the early stages focused around building nuclear warheads for their Scuds and Nodongs, which are short range, medium range missiles. Um, only since 2017 have they had an ICBM to be able to start talking about a strategic capability. So I think some of the language that's being used now is overemphasizing this as like a new strategic line that isn't necessarily new. North Korea has always you know, been working on you know, theater range, what we would consider to be tactical um, ballistic missiles, um, tactical nuclear weapons. Uh, but it is something that is concerning. I think the, the biggest difference now is in the shadow of, you know, Russia's war in Ukraine, the, the idea of nuclear use is much more plausible, um, which makes everything more upsetting, right? Makes the anxieties much higher. If we don't believe anyone would ever use nuclear weapons, even North Korea, even if they have them, you know, it's easier to sort of deal with the status quo. But now if North Korea has nuclear weapons, has announced a new nuclear law that does provide conditions under which they plan to use them or would consider using them, um, the idea that we might reach those conditions um, are much more thinkable now. And the idea that North Korea is now also exercising, what would that look like, training for it, um, does become a much more concerning situation, especially if you're sitting in South Korea. Um, so that's really the challenge that we deal with now is not necessarily a strategic shift in North Korea's you know, uh, nuclear policy and nuclear strategy, but really the a much more... A, a much more, uh, much realer sense that nuclear use is possible. So that leads me to my final question is, where is this going? You know, in this escalatory cycle that we seem to be in, you know, in the past, if it's guide, it's when the exercises ends, they're typically, typically sorts to uh, uh, decrease in terms of the amount of tensions. Although for the notable reasons, but I think particularly for the um, audacious uh, responses from the North Koreans, perhaps this cycle is different, but I'm curious to hear uh, your response to my question. It's, it's hard to say how different this cycle might be. Certainly the North Koreans have upped the ante, but the, the U.S. and South Korean military exercises are much larger than they were before. And if we think about, you know, the kinds of exercises that U.S. and South Korea have done since 2018, these have all been mostly tabletop exercises. They weren't doing these live fire, you know, large scale exercises. Um, and, you know, the like the vigilant uh, storm exercise that they just did is the biggest it ever has been, um, including one day of the 24 hour bombing. Right. So, you know, this isn't, you know, if you're in Pyongyang looking at this, this isn't business as usual. Um, and the same is, you know, U.S. South Korea looking at what North Korea is doing isn't business as usual. Um, and the problem is now is that we're sort of both in the perception of, well, we're doing drills. They shouldn't react to it because it's our right to do drills and to exercise and to be prepared, you know, work on our military preparedness. 
Um, but then we expect the other side not to react. And both sides are reacting to both things, right? Um, but some of the rhetoric coming out of, you know, the U.S. and South Korea, especially, we are the larger military. We are the superior military and superior nuclear power, um, you know, to keep reemphasizing, well, if you do anything, you know, we can totally destroy you. Well, they already know that. <laughs> That's, you know, part of the reason why they're building nuclear weapons in the first place is because they don't have the conventional capabilities to fight a war um, or certainly not to win a war. Uh, so I think, you know, it does at this point in time, I think the U.S. and South Korea do need to kind of be the first movers to try and scale back the rhetoric, at least, you know, do the exercises. But it doesn't need to be accompanied by, you know, real militant, really uh, forward posture uh, uh, in in messaging also, um, because, the exercises speak for themselves, right? And the, the capabilities speak for themselves. And if we if we don't want to sort of push ourselves into a conflict scenario, I think we really need to start taking the high ground here um, and start to really tone down how we're reacting to North Korea's attempts to project power in response. With that, Jenny, uh, thanks for joining the Warcast. All right, thanks for having me.